This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Today I'm speaking with M. Royston from Chasing Threads. Chasing Threads makes stitchable accessories and cross-stitch kits for the modern world. The first collection of unique, stylish and functional accessories that can be stitched and personalised born from the idea to sew where you go. I had a really great conversation with Em today. We spoke a lot about the inspiration for her products, how she got started, and also about wholesaling. Em has wholesaled her products for years now, and she's achieved a lot of this via wholesaling platforms, um, specifically Fair. I haven't yet spoken to anyone who uses one of these platforms to wholesale their products. So as you can imagine, I was really interested. Um, we spoke about this in lots of detail. And if you have ever considered wholesalers, but perhaps thought of picking up the phone or sending cold emails is putting you off, I really think this is something that you're going to be interested in. So I'd love now to introduce you to Em. So hi Em, thank you for being here. Hi Vicky, you know it's great to be here. So can we start with you please give an introduction to yourself, your business and what you sell? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm Em Royston um, and my brand is called Chasing Threads. Um, and basically it's a kind of a modern cross-stitch travel accessories brand. Um, and we make, well, the original idea was to sew where you go. So it all started from the idea of um, just marking kind of a destination with a cross. Um, and that grew into a number of products, which I developed, designed, um, I get manufactured. Um, and now I yeah, sell, market and sell kind of internationally through my own website and through other platforms and wholesale also. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to start right at the beginning, if that's okay, Em. Sure, and can you tell yeah. us how and why you started Chasing Threads? So were you a big cross-stitcher? Where did it all begin? Yeah, so, um, yeah, basically I've always loved making things. I've been a kind of sewer and crafty sort of person since forever. I used to make my own clothes and things when I was a kid. Um, and then I went on to study design um, at university. And I always, yeah, loved product design. That was kind of the area that I went into. And yeah, it wasn't so much cross-stitch necessarily back then, but it was just like, yeah, making things, um, this idea of kind of personalizing things I got really um, interested in at university and how the kind of the customer can personalize things and make them their own. Um, and that was sort of work through projects that I did at university. Um, yeah, and then I just went on to try and find a job in any kind of design capacity, um, which isn't always the easiest. So I actually just ended up working for other small design brands that I liked. Um, and I actually started in kind of more of a sales sort of role because I was just like, 
I need a job. <laughs> um, and so I worked for other little design companies, one of which being Suck UK, which is like a kind of quirky design brand. Bit of a bad name. It was <laughs> everyone's like Suck UK. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and, and it was at that kind of company um, after a few others that I, I worked for about five years and sort of worked my way back into design a bit more. And I designed a product for them, um, which was called a cross-stitch map. And the idea was that it was, well, it actually going back again, the, um, yeah, so I designed the cross-stitch map for them. And the idea was um, a map of the world, but printed on a cross-stitch fabric. Because I'd done a road trip in America with my partner and cross-stitched the actual roadmap that we'd used. Um, and it showed the travel in thread. And I thought, just I love this idea of showing your travels in thread and that you kind of, um, yeah, marked this map with little stitches. Um, and so, yeah, I developed that product for them and they, they still sell it and distribute it now. Uh, and then a few years later, I went on to start my own brand. And that was one of the kind of key ideas I wanted to take forward, um, which I developed into a range of passport covers, notebooks, tote bags, all with this idea of stitching where you've been. So Thank I don't know if that, that, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> no, that does make loads of sense. And I'm sure I read something on your website. Am I right in thinking that you weren't actually in the UK when you set the company up? Yeah, so it was, I was working in Suck UK um, at the time. And then, um, yeah, my husband got an opportunity to, moved to Hong Kong um, and I thought it was you know a great chance for me to sort of I've always wanted to start have my own company I don't know why I've just always kind of imagined myself having um, my own brand and when I was at Suck I was always just jealous of like the product design meetings going on when I was in the sales team and then when I was in more of the product side I was you know wanted to know what the kind of the bigger brand strategy was and I just yeah I found the whole process really interesting so I, I knew I kind of wanted to, to have my own brand to have kind of more control over everything um and so yeah so when we moved to Hong Kong and uh, that was the chance to um I just kind of worked part-time and then started on the side developing products um, and designing and then getting kind of manufacturing set up and where do you mind me if I hope you don't mind me asking this but where yeah. were you getting your products manufactured so locally to there, so it was um it was actually yeah really kind of interesting place to be because it's it's so close to you know the hub of Shenzhen and China and manufacturing and everything um they say everything kind of happens more quickly in Hong Kong it's like a very um you know fast paced uh, sort of place to be and I found that was really true you know you could get samples back from suppliers within a day or two and yeah it was just a yeah a really great place to be for that and I've worked with one supplier still that I met then and just regularly traveled to visit them and develop the products. And, and now they're yeah, a really trusted supplier. So that's been, yeah, invaluable really to have that proximity. That's amazing. That's really, what's the word? Serendipitous, I think that's the right word. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I speak to lots of people who sort of sell products from China, but for, for lots of people, particularly over the last couple of years, but actually in general, because it's so far away and so expensive, um, most people yeah. never get to meet their supplier face-to-face or go and have a walk around because it's, you know, there's there's so many reasons why that isn't possible, but that must have been amazing absolutely. that you could actually visit and really get to build relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's obviously there's mixed sort of um, opinions on, on China manufacturing things. And I, I totally understand. Um, but it's been, yeah, it was amazing to sort of, you know, actually see and experience and get to know a company because it's obviously a, a lot different when you're just on the other side of the world ordering something blindly. Um, and I definitely had learned my lessons from other suppliers as well, um, where I didn't go and check kind of the products before they were sent out and that kind of thing. And um you know, you get a horrible surprise when it's not what you'd expected and the quality wasn't the same as the sample and that kind of thing. But yeah, now I just know, you know, 
the suppliers that I do work with um, totally trust and have been working with them for years. So yeah, that's a nice outcome. Yeah, that's really good. And coming back to when you got started, am I right in thinking that you you ran a Kickstarter campaign in the early days? Yeah, so it wasn't actually for the very first product, but um, to develop. So the passport cover was like my kind of original and that was like um, still is the bestseller, actually. It's like the kind of the starting product that's still the star um but I wanted to develop other products and I didn't really have the the cash to reinvest in another production run so yeah I did do a kickstarter product a project sorry for the um notebook so um yeah that was really it was quite a scary thing to do actually the kickstarter I found I thought it was going to be just like oh yeah you know you'd see I've seen ones really take off and um generate about 20,000 you know just um easily but obviously it's when you're actually doing it it's quite a lot of, of work um and I think I raised over five thousand pounds to um to kickstart the production of that notebook and um yeah it was really exhilarating when I did to finally get that that kind of um pledges all um in from um people that yeah obviously originally friends and family but then also just people that like the product so yeah it was a really good if you're you know at the beginning and you have a kind of I think it works really well with sort of simplistic ideas as well kind of products that people understand quite quickly and um yeah I think it was definitely worth doing as a way to to get some funds to to launch something new without that big risk and I guess there was an advantage that it wasn't your first product because presumably you had some customers and people who liked what you did that then you could then approach you know for your kickstarter um yeah because yeah exactly we had someone on here talking about um, Kickstarter campaigns or, or any kind of crowdfunding last year. And the big thing I took away from that episode is how much work it is. I had no yeah. idea that it would be almost like a full-time job to, to run a campaign. Was that your experience? Yeah, like I definitely didn't put as much into it as I could and should probably have. But yes, it was because <laughs> it's like you kind of launch. And I think there's an expectation that the the website will generate quite a lot of views for you but actually there's so many projects going live all the time that unless you're picked up by kickstarter team you know it's very unlikely that you're going to get traction without bringing your own crowd so yes it was a lot more work than um than i kind of expected and it was a bit scary when you're only halfway and you've gone over the half the time because it is all or nothing um but yeah and i was also already wholesaling a little bit then so that was quite good i could also um I had a few shops that pledged to sort of stock the products. Um, so that was a nice thing as well as using direct to consumer customers that I'd already had. Um, but kind of using those stores that I'd been working with, um, yeah, to get behind the project and the a new product. And that's great. And we'll talk about that in a moment, a little bit more sort of where you were selling and how that came about. Um, but one thing I'd love to know, actually, is that with the Kickstarter, hypothetically, let's say you came up with a completely new product idea now, would you would you do it again? Yeah, good question. Um, I think because I'm now working with a supplier that I don't have to sort of um, commit to massive quantities um, and the things I'm making, I sort of, you know, don't order so many and it's not like there's not a big tooling investment or anything. Um, I wouldn't unless unless there was a product that was like, you know, I need to order a big amount to make it happen or there's a big kind of um, initial startup cost. Um, and then, yeah, I would consider it. I would definitely consider it for that um, purpose. I can't see that at the moment but um yeah I'd be open to it because it is such a clever kind of idea of having the kind of almost pre-sold the stock before you've even manufactured them I think it's you know it's a very good way of reducing risk for for brands that are kind of giving something a go if you're not entirely sure it's going to do well 
Yes, because you're right. Because as well as getting those original sales, you're also getting people to sort of put their money where their mouth is and say, yes, this is actually a good idea, which can be hard, can't it? Because people will often tell you they think something's good, but then will they actually part with any money? It's a different thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And that kind of um, emphasis on supporting the community and and supporting small designers. um, Yeah, it's, it's really interesting area. Well, it's really good to know that um, it's something that hasn't, you know, entirely put you off doing again. Um, So you mentioned a moment ago that you were selling direct to consumers and that you also were doing wholesale at that point. So can we talk a little bit about all of that, really? So where you started selling and how that evolved? So did you start off with just a website, for example? Let's, Let's go from there. Yeah, I basically just, um, at first I was using WordPress, a very basic WordPress site that I sort of taught myself, you know, how to make. Um, it just did the trick with WooCommerce, but it was a bit, you know, a bit shoddy. Um, and then got my products on Etsy. I actually very nearly didn't continue to put my products on Etsy because I thought they all had to be kind of handmade um, to be on there. But I, in the end, I would just thought, oh, I'll, I'll put them on there. Um, and, you know, if they tell me to take them down, then fine. But I think they're policies have changed and it was an original design still um so it didn't matter that I wasn't the one actually physically making them um and yeah that's been one of my biggest platforms Etsy still does probably yeah probably half of my direct consumer sales is through Etsy um because it's such a good kind of international marketplace and a lot comes from America from Etsy and then you know it's obviously grown in the UK as well in the last few years quite a lot so yeah, and then more recently, well, a few, three years ago, maybe, um, got onto Not On The High Street as well, which is obviously, again, like a really nice platform that's got good, um, you know, a big customer base and the products work well because it's, yeah, that kind of creating your own um, idea and, and personalization, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, and then I've since um, developed my store on Shopify, which is a lot better than the WooCommerce one, a lot less glitchy. Um and yeah, I've kind of dabbled in doing Facebook ads and things to get the uh, traction on that going a bit better. And yeah, I think that's about it. There's a few other marketplaces. I am actually, I do have some of the products listed on Amazon, but I haven't really invested much time in that. And I'm, yeah, it's probably not the main focus for my products at the moment, but um, yeah, the set, the central world as well is just so unpleasant to be in. I just can't <laughs> spend too much time there. Oh, well, if you ever need a hand, you know where I am. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like you're doing really well. And um, I agree with you about Shopify as well. I think Shopify, if anyone wanting to build their own site to sell their products, personally and like I said this is not yeah. um I've got no link with Shopify but I just think it's great because it is so easy and Definitely, it looks yeah. really nice as well yeah it is it's so easy to set up a shop like in a day really you can and um yeah and it, it kind of it syncs to everything so yeah it's great I definitely also highly recommend Shopify so you mentioned um so we've spoken a lot about send direct to consumers so you mentioned earlier that you were stocked in a few stores as early as a few years ago so how did you first start wholesaling and talk us through through what you did there please yeah sure so that was actually probably one of the biggest benefits of um when I started at Suck UK I was working in the kind of sales side which wasn't really my intention I just wanted to get kind of into a product design world um but actually it was so useful because I was essentially um kind of an ad you know uh, account manager for these wholesale shops so selling suck products to stores and being um yeah uh custom yeah yeah being the kind of admin person for those sales so I really understood uh went going to trade shows for them I was um sorry I 
I yeah so I used to go to the trade shows for them um and I would I just got to learn kind of the wholesale pricing um how to approach stores um you know all of that pack sizes stuff that I just I suppose I would have just had to learn from myself when I started my business later I kind of had all that knowledge so it wasn't so scary I think I approached wholesale right from the beginning it wasn't actually a case of waiting for that long I think I I launched a top drawer um in my first or second year because I kind of just that was like the way that was the path that I knew that you would sell some direct consumer but wholesale was sort of the end goal for me um yeah yeah it must have been invaluable having that experience because I, when I was selling my range of products, I never did much wholesale, just a few local shops, because to me, it was just an absolute minefield of things that I didn't know. So I, yeah. I can imagine having all of that experience and contacts as well, I, I assume. Um, I mean, you don't need to tell us whether you were speaking to the yeah. same people, you don't need to disguise that. But I imagine just knowing people in that world must be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just kind of um, just ha- yeah, having that kind of background knowledge of of how if you want to approach a department store you know you just give it a go um and the big guys are probably doing the same as as little businesses just you know trying to look up buyers details and and get in front of them as easy as they you know is the best way they can um and sending samples and all that kind of thing um so yeah it was really invaluable and yeah I was lucky to get a few wholesalers sort of straight away um, and since then it's grown so the first wholesalers you got, were they through Top Draw? You mentioned that you went there when you were just sort of starting thinking about wholesaling. Was that what kicked it all off? Yeah, I think I had um, just from direct emailing some other stockists that I knew. I had a couple of of um, customers before then who were actually selling through Not on the High Street, and I wasn't selling not through Not on the High Street at that time. So it was quite perfect. They kind of dealt with that side of things, and I would sell wholesale to them. So that was my first wholesaler. I remember, which was, yeah, so exciting when I first got that. The first orders, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's actually happening. So were they selling your products on the, on the high street? Yes, they were. Yeah. So they since they don't anymore. Now I, I took it over because I wanted sort of my brand to be there as a whole. But yes, originally they were buying my products at wholesale and then selling them on not on the high street. That makes sense. And I guess that also probably gave you some confidence when you decided to sell them on not on the high street directly, because presumably you knew then that they were they were selling on not on the high street. And obviously they'd passed the application process to get on there in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And they were based in the UK. And at that time I was still in Hong Kong. So it was it just made more sense. Um, I think at the very beginning, I, I didn't have a warehouse. So I was yeah, I was relying on sort of me posting out orders or having friends in the UK help me post out orders um so it was a bit difficult until I was established with a a warehouse properly I didn't actually think about that so of course so how many years were you running your business from Hong Kong uh yeah like um I think like four um wow that's quite a long time yeah it was and it was yeah it obviously had its drawbacks as well as its advantages you know the kind of time difference thing was sometimes awkward and I would get you know, look at my phone in the middle of the night and get emails and be like, oh God, no, I need, you know, the, the having different working hours was quite difficult. Um, but basically because I had the warehouse set up here um, and orders would just go out through them, it was, it wasn't too much of a barrier, but it was obviously, yeah, it's, it's been a lot easier since I've been back in the UK, but then I was establishing that sort of the supplier side of things in Hong Kong. So yeah, it's a good mix. <laughs> So when you were um, getting started wholesaling, was it was the idea always to find wholesalers, find stores in the UK? Was that always the intention? 
I was actually open. I've always been open to kind of stocking everywhere. Yes, like definitely the UK has always been sort of my strongest market for stockists and is now definitely kind of where I have the most stockists. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of, again, from SUC, I was confident that we could sell anywhere um, in theory. And America was one of the places that even from quite early on, I had a few stockists there. And yeah, you know, I was looking also for distributors because I used to deal with distributors at Suck UK. So I knew that was another option. And I did work with a few distributors uh, in Europe and it has some of them have worked out and some of them haven't so much. But um, yeah, I was very much open to like, I'll sell anywhere. <laughs> well, that's great. And I, I, you know, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who's sold by distributors. So would you mind just explaining a little bit about how that works? Because that just might be interesting to someone who's never thought of going down that route. Yeah, sure. Like I think, um, especially at the moment, especially in Europe, I think it's a really can be a really good solution um, because obviously since Brexit, all the import issues have have been a nightmare personally. And I think lots of other brands also found that what used to be quite a straightforward process of just importing is, you know, delays and expensive import fees. And um, so, yeah, if you can find a distributor, I worked with some good ones in for Germany, for example. And basically, they would have exclusivity for Germany with my brand. So I wouldn't sell to any other um, shops in Germany. And if anyone approached me in Germany, I'd say, please get in touch with our distributor. And so, yeah, they would basically buy at like maybe 30, 35% discount on my wholesale price. But the benefit is that they would buy in bulk and they would sort out the delivery from my warehouse. So, yeah, so they would kind of deal with the whole, they would just pay me in a lump. Then they hold the stock in Germany um, and then sell to stock stores from their warehouse. So for, for stores in Germany, it made sense for them because they weren't having to import and worry about duty charges and excess, things like that. And then the distributor would do trade shows to promote the brand and yeah, contact there. And they would obviously represent other brands as well. So they would go to a store with, you know, a selection of different brands and they could sell products from all these different companies. So yeah, in, so in theory, it's, it's a really good I mean, it is a really can be a really good model. That's really interesting. Is yeah. approaching a distributor because I'm assuming it's it's a case of you approaching them. In a lot of cases, I'm sure that now your brand is you know really well known. Maybe you're getting people approaching you. But when it comes to approaching distributors yourself, it, does it work mm. in a similar way to approaching retailers? Yeah, I'd say very similar. I think like the best way probably to find a distributor is to look at brands that are similar to yours or brands that you know, not necessarily in competition because you don't really want to have competing brands, but brands that, yeah, you you are in the same realm. You know, they're distributors for very specialist things. So you'd have like maybe kitchenware distribution or I think generally I would always fit into kind of gift um, distributors, but you want to be like not at that novelty level. So um, yeah, finding kind of the right kind of fit. If you can see that the products that they're selling, you would see those in a, in a store next to yours usually, um, then it's probably a good fit. And so, yeah, I, I would usually just approach this, yeah, the same way as a, a retailer, basically, yeah, just contacting and saying, could be a good fit, which like conversation. And if you can go to trade shows to meet them, that's another good good thing to do if you have the the time and, and the money to do it, to go to, you know, visit Ambiente, for example, or, or Maison Objet and, and see the, the kind of the biggest stands where they're representing a few brands. Um, yeah. Oh, of course, I didn't think about the fact that distributors, of course, are attending trade shows as well. Yeah, usually, um, so they might find you, like for the top draw, often we get some distributors kind of wandering around um, 
and they might find you that way but and also if they're they'll be exhibiting um on their home turf <laughs> um yeah which is where you could find them if you're um yeah if you're particularly looking for for france for example then yeah go to maison objet and see kind of the stands well, that's yeah. really interesting. I'm actually thinking about it. When I went to Top Draw last September, um, it was the first time I'd been, and I did actually oh, meet cool. a toy brand distributor that who was yeah. had a who had a stall there as well. And um, I only know they were distributor because I spoke to them, but I I think it's probably fair to assume that some of the bigger stands could have been distributors. Yeah, certainly not all of them. Some of them would have been brands. But I'm sure that it. I think if, it's probably a case of if you were interested, I, I don't know what your thoughts on this are, but I, I suggest to people maybe go to a trade show, walk around, talk to some people and yeah, keep definitely. an open mind and just see who you yeah, can meet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, talking to talking to other brands that you kind of admire or that are on the same sort of weight path as you um, is, yeah, really, really invaluable to to get those contacts. And um, it's often by like a, a word of mouth introduction, like, oh, you should try, yeah, try and talking to these guys. That's certainly how, yeah, lots of my agents and distributors have worked out. So, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good to know that that is, in fact, useful advice. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned earlier that you're also wholesaling your products in the US. So how did that come about? Because I don't want to assume that you didn't go over there and hold a lot of trade shows. But um, did you do that or did you do something different? <laughs> yeah, no, I've never done a trade show in America, actually. I would like to, but no, um, it definitely, I don't think it's necessary to get started. and. Yeah, I actually sell um, through FAIR and that's probably where the the majority of my US stockists have come from um, is through this wholesale platform called FAIR. That's really interesting. I think um, I've heard of FAIR because, again, when I went to Top Drawer, they were one of, I, be, I think they might be one of the sponsors. They were certainly giving out coffee at the station anyway. And um, yeah. that was the first time I'd come across them. And I've had a look. And I, but am I right in thinking they're a wholesale platform so that small, well, perhaps not only small, but retailers can go on there and they can buy product in wholesale direct from the site? Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. They've just basically kind of made it like a, a sort of Etsy platform for business to business. So yeah, you list your products, it looks just like an online store and they customers can buy only in packs of your minimum quantities um, at wholesale prices. And I think they have to qualify through FAIR to, you know, to prove that they're like a physical store or they have a website. But yeah, once they're qualified, it's kind of the orders just come to you. It's, it's very much um, like an easy kind of way of just turning on a tap of orders like you don't really have to sort of have that you know usually with stockists you'd kind of get it in touch and introduce the products and send the catalogue and send over a price list whereas it's it's a lot of kind of cold customers coming in and just having an order that you accept which is great because obviously it saves all that time of um you know you finding the customer and things um so yeah we've had a lot of success with there and another great thing about them although this might be changing now is that they have been um, covering the delivery fees for you and the customer so um, that's been kind of amazing really that you know um, you just have to say I guess I accept this order and then you ship it with your you know FedEx whoever and then you type in how much it cost um, and then FAIR will cover the, the cost of that shipping that's so amazing. yeah yeah, it's pretty, it's, it, like, it's it's kind of too good to be true. And I think now they are actually starting to say that those offers are limited and it's only limited to insiders. And so it's just, yeah, definitely worth being aware that those, I think they wanted to get, you know, all the, they want to get as many 
shops buying that way as possible, get as many brands on the platform as possible. And the terms will probably be less favorable, I guess, after the initial sort of getting you on. But it's still a really great platform. Like I, I, I wouldn't have, you know, I've, I've had, I don't know, hundred, a few hundred kind of stockists that I, I'm really sure would, would never have found my products without being just unfair. It's and amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, they can have smaller, well, I, you can set your minimum order as well. So these are kind of generally smaller orders. I think I've set my minimum quite low just to make it easy. But yeah, it's worthwhile because you get, you, it's very low effort. Um, I would say definitely if you're, if you're going to do go through fair and I would recommend just trying it because it's free to list the products just be aware yeah the first order is 25% commission to fair and then reorders you'd pay 15% commission to fair so it's really worth um, nurturing still nurturing those kind of customers I always try and send um, like a thanks so much for email message and um, you know kind of try and get them onto my mailing list um, as well so that in the future <laughs> so sorry um, so they'll come back in the future and place another order and you know reorders yeah it's going to be less commission so it's worth kind of keeping them as a customer um, and if you send them your link directly then it's zero percent commission so it can be a really good way for customers that are maybe already ordering that they can make the most of a free shipping deal that fair's offering or um, there's discounts that they often have that i give five percent fair give five percent so the customer can really um yeah, make the most and they can order any time. It's not like having that back and forth of is this in stock um, because it follows my Shopify uh, stock levels. So it's like live ordering, um, which I don't have. as a, I don't have a wholesale platform that does that. So, um, yeah, so there's lots of benefits. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm sold. <laughs> not that I'm not like sell anything. But <laughs> yeah. Should I? I would be sold because that does sound great. You and, should, and yeah. Does it completely sync with Shopify then? Does it pull in the product details and yeah yeah so yeah so you can like upload the products that way just by um getting them synced over and then you can choose not to or you can choose to sync it to your shopify for stock so yes so it's just one more thick less thing to manage if you know you're marking things that's out of stock um it should just do all for you yeah wow it certainly sounds a lot more passive than making lots of phone calls or sending emails and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that because i think there's well you've definitely you know told us you're doing you're doing both but it definitely sounds worth doing as something additional maybe yeah definitely if you can afford to be selling you know to um with that 25 percent commission like it's it's definitely worth giving it a go yeah it'll be interesting to see how it kind of progresses from here because obviously yeah i think they they have all these big incentives and free shipping and they were even covering duties and taxes which is you know amazing because I think that's something that puts um, international customers off from ordering from you know um, UK brands for example in America they, you know they don't like that there might be duties and taxes on bigger orders and yeah fair for a while we're covering all of those so that was just like a really good thing to be able to say like don't worry if you do get charged you know fair will cover it so yeah, it's I, I would definitely recommend. Um, the other one is Anchor Store as well. I don't know if you've heard of of them. No, I haven't. So that's another um, B2B marketplace. I think they're more um, focused on Europe. And I do sell on there as well, but a lot less because I haven't really been put, putting that much effort into it. But um, it's another, it's very similar. I think the commission rate is probably kind of the same. But yeah, they kind of specialise, I think, more in Europe. So that's another one to check out if you're looking for B2B 
that's really worth knowing thank you and, I, and I'm assuming that certainly at the moment there's no restrictions to how many you can be on so none of them say oh you have to be on us exclusively at the moment I know these things might yeah change. yeah no um no as far as I know and I think you know they have I think at the moment they just want to grow <laughs> as big and as quickly I went to some of their kind of drinks and they've got big plans so um I think yeah they're not keeping on top of it <laughs> in that way at the moment no so um yeah I would say kind of no point no reason not to be on multiple platforms thank you and is there anything else you think people should know about using wholesale platforms any tips or advice I mean you've told us a lot already so don't worry if there isn't yeah. um <laughs> No, I mean, I think, um, it, you know, I guess your images really have to sell the product because there's not much else to go on. Um, and, you you know, you don't really have a, like a pretty catalogue necessary that they can, people are going to see. So, yeah, just make sure images are good. And I think adding new products regularly helps you stay sort of at the top of the, the page and to be on, on the found section. Um, so it can come in lulls. I find that it's very much when I'm busier, I get busier and busier. I think maybe, you know, if, if brands are ordering, I think you tend to climb up the ranks. So um, at the moment, it's really quiet. Obviously, it's January as well. Everyone's a bit quiet. But um, yeah, so maybe, you know, in the quieter times, adding new products and maybe putting on a little sale or discount um, just to entice people. It's probably worthwhile. That's really good to know. Thank you. And I think that that certainly makes sense. I think that works. A lot of platforms work that way, don't they? That the more sales you get, the more you're shown and therefore the more you get, which is why it can be so hard to even get yeah. started. You just get absolutely this cycle of those who are doing well, continue yeah. to do well. Yeah. Um, oh, well, thank you. That's super useful. And I didn't think about that with the images. But yes, I guess it's like a lot of marketplaces where but presumably customers are searching and then just getting a page of results which are pictures so that's really useful yeah yeah absolutely and that was a great point you made also about the margins as well and just making sure you can absorb those fees yeah yeah it's um it's definitely worth thinking and then delivery on top or um yeah or not and yeah I guess the last one is really just to nurture those because you know you don't know at what point fair might suddenly not be not be an option anymore it might stop um altogether so if you can sort of have contact details you know so that you don't lose that store if anything were to go wrong with fair and they could always order direct you know I think it's it's good to try and start a relationship it's quite hard because it's quite a faceless sort of platform and I don't get much back and forth usually from customers but sometimes you know it's always worth just sending a message saying oh thanks so much it means a lot that you're stocking the products and sort of show that human side that's excellent advice thank you because you're right there's with all of these platforms that we don't own there is always a chance that they might just vanish so yeah that's yeah. that's useful and I'm assuming that fair don't give you the customer details either so um, unless they choose to add themselves to your mailing list or send you their email yeah, address exactly you just yeah. have to sort of ask if they'd like to yeah to, to sign up with you kind of thing yeah oh, it definitely sounds worth doing that proactively well thank you so much for that was just yeah I think that's been invaluable everything that you've shared there. Good. Yeah, I'm thank glad. you so much um I've got one final question for you before we finish Emma if that's okay which sure. is what would your number one piece of advice be for other product creators and I know it's hard and I know you've shared a lot if you wanted to leave yeah. us with something what would it be yeah no problem I think it's probably maybe more down to kind of how I think you know a lot of product creators and small businesses work on their own and the whole kind of um the benefit of of having your own business is you know that flexibility of life style and um but I think that can be quite hard to kind of to work with your own energy and like you know work with your own time when you're feeling creative and when you're feeling actually like I couldn't 
I don't I don't feel creative today but you know um I, bas I guess basically what I'm trying to say is like the whole point of, of being your own boss is to be a good boss to yourself and not sort of give yourself a hard time if things aren't like going that well. I, I used to just set myself kind of a nine to six working day, but actually I found that that's not necessarily the best way to be productive. And, you know, if I'm just sat at my computer, just not really achieving anything, then I do just go for a walk and listen to a podcast or I'm lucky that I can stitch as part of my kind of work um, even though it feels really weird, especially like a cross-stitch, uh, sorry, a trade show time when I'm trying to stitch up samples and I'm manically cross-stitching. It doesn't feel like work. But um, yeah, I think just kind of, yeah, allowing yourself to to use time as as it works for you and, and give yourself a break if, you know, it's not all happening every day. Because I think I went through a few years at the beginning when I really did late hours and weekends and I really put all of my energy into my business. And that's you know, put me in the position I am in now, um, where I don't necessarily have to burn the candle all the time. And yeah, just allowing myself to sort of work with my energy when I'm feeling creative and, and know that it'll come back. Um, so yeah. That's great advice. Thank you. And I can definitely see that if you're doing something creative, you can't, it's not something you can just turn on and off, is it? You're either feeling it or you're not. So yeah, think, yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And kind of this idea that, you know, always having to launch, I think I felt like I always had to have new products coming. But yeah, I think, you know, people just, you know, they have, not everyone's always seen everything that you've done in the past. So you can always just present a different product in a different way. Um, yeah. And still it feels new, even if you're not making new all the time. That makes sense. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything you shared them. I'm going to link to your website and your socials and everything else in the show notes. Lovely. So thank you. Take a look. And thank you again. That's great. No worries. No, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.